Good morning, Chapel Hill. <laughs> it is so good to see you. In case you're among the newcomers, and many of them who have come in the last couple of months, uh, my name is Mark Toon, and I work here. <laughs> Cindy and I just returned from a glorious uh, sabbatical, uh, which you gave to us, and we made the most of that time together. We traveled to eight different states. We visited two national parks. We had a close encounter with a moose and her baby. We slept in a yurt with a composting toilet. It's not as bad as it sounds. We played a lot of golf, a lot of golf. Cindy beat me. Twice Cindy beat me. I'm going to give up the game. We... Um, we visited our daughter Rachel in North Carolina at the peak of autumn, and everything you've ever heard about the, the leaves in that part of the world uh, is understated. We hiked in the great uh, Smoky Mountains. We sat in on Rachel's Old Testament class that she is teaching at Montreat College. I laid a vinyl floor in her cabin, and then we bought a comfortable memory foam fold-out sofa so that mom and dad have a place that we can sleep when we visit her. We celebrated our granddaughter Cece's first birthday. Yeah, she's ugly, isn't she? <laughs> and we celebrated my 65th birthday. Welcome to Medicare. And, uh, and our, our daughter, for my birthday, bought me tickets to a Billy Strings bluegrass concert. If you don't know him, Google him. He is incredible. And I went along with 7,000 of my closest friends. It was not what I was expecting in a bluegrass concert. It was so loud that I tore up my mask and stuffed the fragments in my ears. It was the only way I could make it through the night. So you know I was one of the older members of, of the audience. This was our final sabbatical here, and it, it was a wonderful time to pray and to reflect and Think about all of God's faithfulness and the privilege that it is to serve here at our sweetheart church. And it was such a great and generous gift to us. And it would not have been possible were it not for the great team that we have. And so a big shout out to Pastor Ellis who carried the lion's share of the preaching. But he and Pastor Julie and Pastor Larry did a magnificent job, didn't they? And kudos and thank you to our elders, uh, led by uh, Chairman Tom Gray, and to our entire staff. They serve us, they serve the Lord so well. And so thank you, our sweetheart church. You are very, very kind to us. You always have been so. And we're back. We are back to launch on into our next uh, chapter of ministry together. And today we are going to begin an Advent series that we're calling Christmas Presents. Pastor Ellis particularly loves puns, and so I chose this one for him. Christmas presents. How many of you, when you were a kid, ever played dog pile? It's probably the girls didn't play it, but the guys almost all did. Dog piles when you, you'd scream dog pile, and then you'd tackle some unwitting kid and take them down, and then everyone in the crowd would begin to jump on top of them until you were just crushed under the weight of it. I don't know why we thought that was fun, but uh, we played it a lot. Dog pile. 
As I was thinking about coming back this morning, I was reflecting on the last two years. Doesn't it feel like the last two years has been almost a continuous game of dogpile? One thing upon another, upon another, upon another. You got a, a lingering pandemic. You got global saber rattling. You have rancid politics. You have trials. You have supply chain issues. You have lootings. You have unrest in schools and a crisis at the southern border. That is a big pile. And it's weighing on all of us right now. I spoke to a friend last week who lost his dad, who lost his business, who lost his wife, who walked out on him in all of this, took their son with her, and it was all just this last year. He's a normally positive, hopeful guy, and yet he feels crushed by the weight of all that is going on. I wonder how many of you can relate to some of that. And in the midst of that, we're still trying to do the right stuff. We keep going to church, we keep praying, we keep reading the Bible, we keep meeting with our life group and trying to serve. But honestly, when you feel like you're on the bottom of the dog pile, sometimes you just want to cry out, God, where are you? Have you cried out that prayer in this last couple of years? God, where are you in all of this? Well, the season of Advent declares God is right here. God is right here still. Even if we don't feel it, even if we can't sense Him, God is right here. My favorite name, the Bible gives several names for Jesus. My favorite name comes out of Matthew's Christmas story, where Matthew tells us this. He says, you shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Isn't that a wonderful name? You know, the shelves of Target might be a little bare this season, but the greatest gift of all, the gift of God's presence right here in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our world, in all of our woes, we never run out of that. And we can never get enough of that. We need to experience more of God's presence in this season, of Emmanuel, of God with us this Advent season. And that is exactly what we're going to pursue in the coming weeks. This morning, we are going to affirm God's presence by declaring that God brings hope for the hopeless. Would you say that with me? Hope for the hopeless. We need hope. And we are going to encounter this hope in the lives of two ordinary unremarkable, unlettered, but faithful souls that appear in the Christmas story. Only Luke's. Their names are Simeon and Anna. We know nothing of them until they make their appearance. And after they leave the stage, we never hear from them again. But wow, what an impact they make in the brief moment that they are in God's spotlight. They amaze us with their hope. I hope you'll be amazed by their hope and infused by their hope. We turn this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Turn with me if you would. And we're going to pick our way through starting with verse 22. Luke chapter 2 verse 22 and following. Now when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Can you imagine that? And blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And then we drop down to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, would you meet us now in this proclamation of your word? It is only what you say that matters. And so may it be your words to us in Christ's name. Amen. Hope. Hope for the hopeless. If you watched carefully, you discovered the word hope doesn't even appear in the text. And you might say, well, why do you choose that text? But I think that the text oozes hope. So what is biblical hope? Hope, really. Let's start by defining it. Let's, say, let's start with what it's not. Hope is not fingers crossed. Hope is not wanting something really badly. I hope so. It is not blow out your candles and make a wish. That's not what hope is at all. Hope, biblical hope, is way more substantial than that. It is the confident expectation that God will come through no matter your present circumstance. The confident expectation that God will come through no matter your circumstance. God, the hope is, is, isn't wishing for the best. It is trusting that the God who has been faithful in the past will be faithful in the future. He will keep his promise. He will accomplish his purpose no matter what. And don't we need hope right now? Don't we need to live in eager expectancy that despite now the Omicron variant and rioting and division in Congress and $5 gasoline and empty shelves and pessimism, don't we need to know that God is still in control? That God is not flustered by this or surprised by this? And that God will keep His promises and protect His people? That is biblical hope. Now if you don't believe in God, or you think of Him as a disengaged superpower out there somewhere, then it would be easy at this season to lose hope, because God knows that the people that we have elected to lead us into our future are doing a lousy job. But our hope doesn't lie in our politicians. 
We are followers of Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are those who celebrate his first advent and await his second. We are those who declare that Jesus is alive and at work in us right here, right now. That he can be trusted, that he can be relied upon no matter what. That is hope. To believe in God, to believe in his future, even when he does not act on our timeline. Simeon and Anna teach us what it means to hope, to live in eager and confident expectation of God's faithful future, no matter what. And they do it, I see, in three different ways. They teach us to wait, to worship, and to welcome. To wait, to worship, and to welcome. First of all, Simeon and Anna teach us to wait, to be patient, to persevere, to not give up, to hang in there, to play the long game. God's people need to learn to wait. Simeon, we are told, was an old man. He had spent his whole life waiting for the consolation of Israel. All of his life he had been waiting for this. Verse 25, Anna, we are told, was preaching to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Verse 38, What were they waiting for? They were waiting for God's Savior. They were waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One who would come and save the world. Or to put it in a different way, they they were waiting for hope to come. The long-awaited hope to come. Because through His prophets, God had promised that He would send a Messiah. He had promised He would not give up on, on on humanity. He promised he would save his people, and remarkably, through those people, say, offer salvation to the whole rest of the world, not just his chosen few. That was their hope. The problem was, God seemed to dawdle. He seemed to dither. The last time that people had heard from God was from the prophet Malachi, which happens to be the last book in the Old Testament. That was the last word from God. It had been spoken about 400 years earlier. The last word from a prophet was four centuries earlier. And since then, bupkis, nothing, silence. No word from God, no promised Messiah, nothing. And so it would have been easy after four centuries of silence and nothingness, it would have been easy to wonder, has God forgotten us? Has God given up on us? Has God changed his mind about his and washed his hands of us? After 400 years, who could blame them for wondering that, for losing hope? That's a long time to wait. Have you begun to lose hope because God seems to be dawdling in some way? Isn't coming through in the way or in the time that you would prefer? I understand that feeling, beloved. I have three things that I pray for every single morning. At times I have cried out to the Lord for these things, that he would hear my prayer. At times, taking a a note from the Psalms, I have chided the Lord for appearing to be indifferent to these longings of my heart. Come on, Lord! Come on, hear my prayer. Make good on your promises. Have you ever been there? Prayed and prayed and prayed and God just didn't seem to come through. 
And yet Simeon and Anna, though they prayed that way, never gave up. They never stopped hoping. And they teach us to wait, to trust, to endure, to be patient one day at a time. There's a great hymn that most of you know and love, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And one of the lines in there says, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Jesus told us, never worry about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own. But we can hope for tomorrow. We don't worry about tomorrow. But man, we can hope for tomorrow. We can wait for tomorrow and believe God's faithful appearance is coming. And may I ask this? If you're not willing to do that, what is the alternative? Giving up? Shall we just give up? Shall we stop hoping? Shall we begin to pout or rebel or throw a fit? Because God is not following our agenda. I am quite confident that I know what God ought to be doing about some of these things. Quite. But it is slightly possible that the Lord has a different idea. A different timeline. A better plan. And so I, with you, wait. And we hope together. Simeon and Anna waited The second thing they did was worship. We are told that Simeon was a righteous and devout man. He was faithful in his prayer, faithful in his worship, faithful in his sacrifice and praise. And we told Anna, and this amazing woman, she worshiped and fasted and prayed every day, every night. I don't know how you do that, but she did. And she had been doing that for more than 60 years. Both of their lives were bathed in Worship. One of the things I appreciated about Pastor Ellis's message was he constantly, repeatedly called us back to Scripture, back to prayer, back to praise. Again and again, it was a re- recurring theme. And I heeded that advice. During my sabbatical, I, I decided to memorize chapters of Scripture. Psalm 1, Psalm 91, Romans 12, 1 Peter 5. I memorized them and then I did what Psalm 1 says, which is to meditate on them day and night. I tried to make that the last thing I reflected on and prayed through at night as I was falling asleep. I tried to make it the first thing I did in the morning to recite those in my heart and to pray them back to the Lord. Trying to practice this worship day and night. Cindy always has praise music playing in our house. It is worship that turns our hearts from fear and woe and focuses them on the one person who can do something about it. Almighty God. As Pastor Rachel wonderfully reminded us at our Thanksgiving Eve service, peaceful people practice praise. Peaceful people practice praise. Simeon and Anna lived lives of worship. And I want you to notice this. Where did this with the Messiah occur? Where? In the temple, in God's house, in the presence of God's people. I am so grateful for our online ministry. It's the best thing that has come out of our pandemic, our ability to reach into your homes. Last week I spoke to three people who do not yet feel safe to come back to in-person worship and they're so grateful to be able to stay connected with us online. I'm grateful to come to you this day and this is such a good thing. But those three would be the first to tell you it is not the same, is it? 
One woman actually wept with me because she so longs to return to being in church in person, but does not yet feel safe to do so. One of my concerns coming out of COVID, and someday we're going to come completely out of COVID perhaps, is that our online ministry will make it too convenient not to worship in person. Too easy to, as many people have said to me, worship in my pajamas. And I want you to hear me on this. As good and as beneficial as this has been, it is not the same. There is something that happens when we are in God's house with God's people, smiling and greeting and hugging or fist-pumping one another and worshiping God together. I long to regather my entire flock in one place. It is my priority. Cindy and I always worship when we are on vacation. Our kids used to get frustrated because we would worship, we would typically go to Presbyterian churches and they thought they were often quite boring. By the way, tough beans. Sometimes it is boring, but we still went and they came with us. That's called parenting. But in, on our sabbatical, we found it really difficult. For, to worship in person. Either we were in a remote setting or the places that we were at were still so locked down it wasn't possible to worship in person. And so we worshiped online every week and it was wonderful to stay connected with you. But finally when we went to North Carolina to visit Rachel, finally we joined her and our little church plant in Asheville of which we are a part, of which she is a part. And we sat on on lawn chairs out in the park, we listened to a makeshift uh, sound system, and I was shocked by how powerful it was for me to be back with God's people in the worship in person. We sang, Come Thou Fount, and we sang, Be Thou My Vision, and a, a little girl read the scriptures, and an old woman called us to worship, and we enjoyed the warmth of their greetings and the power of the word, and in that moment I was reminded how essential it is for us to gather together, how the human heart longs for and needs the fellowship of other believers. There is something hopeful about gathering in person with your church family, loving each other and singing together and listening together and giving together, and not just occasionally, weekly, regularly. Just imagine if Simeon and Anna had said that day, I don't think I want to go to church today. What would they have missed? You never know how God is going to show up any given Sunday. It will always be a surprise, and you don't want to miss it. I told one of my friends last week who is a sporadic church attender, you have got to stop saying yes to Sunday morning distractions. We all need to say no to Sunday morning distractions so we can have this life-giving infusion of hope every week. So Simeon and Anna, they waited and they worshipped, and then they welcomed. Whom did they welcome? Well, the person I want to talk about this morning is the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen again to the description that is given to us of Simeon. Here's what Luke writes. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit 
that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Do you think Luke is trying to make a point? Three times in three verses, he mentions the work of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life. The Spirit was upon him. The Spirit spoke to him. The Spirit directed him. Simeon's hope never wavered because he lived in the power of, under the anointing of, under the direction of, and at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And since Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given to the entire church, we who are in Christ have more of the Holy Spirit available to us than Simeon ever had. That Holy Spirit who was upon him, that Holy Spirit lives in us lives inside of us. Presbyterians are kind of often squeamish about the third person of the Trinity. We are intellectual, we are educated, we don't know quite what to do with the Holy Spirit. Not here, not these Presbyterians, not Chapel Hill. There's something powerful that happens when a Presbyterian Christian takes the Holy Spirit seriously. Paul once wrote to the Ephesians to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, be filled over and over and over again. Why do we need that? Because we leak. Because we leak. We need a fresh filling, a fresh touch of God's Spirit every day to keep us topped up. Each morning before I get out of bed, I start my day as I lie there by asking the Holy Spirit to fill me again. To produce in me that day the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To give me His hope, His direction. If you are not aware of the Spirit, if you are not including the Holy Spirit in your prayer life, in your worship life... If you're not inviting the Holy Spirit to fill you every day anew, you are quenching the greatest hope giver available to you. So this day I would ask you, are you hopeful? Are you full of hope? Do you need some more hope? Well, the great news of the gospel is that Emmanuel, God, is with us. He is the hope giver. His life, His death, His resurrection, His spirit. That is why we can hope even when we feel like we are on the bottom of the dog pile. We wait patiently because God is still in control. We worship faithfully because worship changes us. And we welcome the Holy Spirit daily. And that is how we fan the flames of hope in a world that can sometimes seem hopeless. And so I invite us even now to enter into a time of prayer and ask that Holy Spirit once again to come and do a new work in us. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Maybe would you open your hands up and just hold them up to the Lord? And join me in prayer as I offer these prayers on our behalf. Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, we invite anew your Holy Spirit to come. We invite your advent even now. Would you send your Spirit afresh in a new and powerful way?
for those who are here this day who really do not know you in a personal way, who do not know the power of your salvation and grace, would you, by your Spirit, cause them to be able to cry out, Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, come to me. For those of us who know you but are living in fear, Holy Spirit, would you cast out that fear? Would you give us renewed courage, renewed confidence in who you are and what you will do? Would you give us new hope? For those of us who are living aimless lives, who feel like we're just phoning it in, Holy Spirit, would you fill us anew with your gifts and with your inspiration? that we might be the persons that you have called us to be and that we might do the work to which you have called us. Holy Spirit, for those of us who are living in, in shame or pain or guilt, you have promised a peace that the world cannot understand. You have promised to comfort us. And so, Holy Spirit, fill us now. Take from us the pain, the guilt, the shame that we carry and replace it with the love and joy and peace that can only come as you indwell our lives. I invite you just to repeat these words after me. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fill me anew. Fill me to overflowing. May I know your power, your presence, your strength, your peace, and your hope. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.